Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Back with me, my good friend, Matthew Brownstein from Metsmerize. Matt, what's happening, my man? Tim, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Doing well. How about you? Doing good, man. Doing good. I was, I was on the road all day today. It's, um, it's Thursday. We're recording Thursday. And yeah, uh, all around. I was in Connecticut. I was uh, all over the place. And like we were just talking off air to how the cat, you know, now he's scratching to get back out of the room. You got to love that. But uh, yeah, you know, just another just another day in paradise, man. Um, I think we are officially three weeks away from opening day, which is extremely exciting. Yes, very much so. Itching. I think we're all probably itching at this point to get some uh, some real baseball going again and, you know, having games that are actually televised and not missing out on more DeGrom spring training starts. But I guess that's the conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, with the Astros TV deal. And hey, at least we get uh, I think we get a Friday afternoon game tomorrow. Anyone anyone who's around, I believe the game is all well, today. If you're listening, uh, the game's on SNY. So. And it's been nice. We've had Gary and uh, the whole crew in the uh, in the booth. It's been very cool. Always great hearing their voices. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you feel like baseball is you know somewhat back at this point when you when you're hearing their voices in the booth, and we're getting closer and closer to opening day. So yeah, man, very exciting, very exciting. And uh, you know, obviously we're all optimistic at this point, and just you know, raring to go. Oh, the optimism never dies, my friend. <laughs> Again, you know, man, once that dies, man. Oh yeah, no, Tim. Tim is the <laughs> ultimate optimist, and I love him for that. That is. Probably one of your best trades, man. And uh, I wish I had more of it. <laughs> oh, I wish, you know, I wish it was all good traits. But, uh, you know, we all have our little our little quirks. And I'm no uh, I'm no different than anyone else. But <laughs> Met Skipper so makes Luis, us us. Exactly. <laughs> Met Skipper Luis Rojas was talking to the media ahead of the Mets and Astros game on Thursday night. Um, let everybody in on a couple of big pieces of news. Uh it's been, I guess, a point of discussion this offseason and even through camp about who would be atop the Mets batting order. Um, Rojas pretty much confirmed that Brandon Nimmo and Francisco Lindor would be uh, one and two um, on most nights. And, you know, that has to make a lot of sense, right? You got two of these, uh, just uh, uh, an elite on-base guy in Nimmo and uh, just a world-class hitter in, in, in Lindor. That's, um, that seems to be a heck of a start, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Brandon Nimmo should absolutely be penciled in uh, as the leadoff hitter of this team. I mean, this guy has, uh, what, a 400 on base percentage, I think, over the last three years uh, as average on base percentage as that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you want to get this guy uh, as many as many plate appearances as possible. Uh, and, you know, at the rate he gets on base, it's just it's it's absurd. I, I think I looked up the other day, I think since like 2018, I think he's like seventh or eighth in on base percentage in the league and like the names in front of him are, you know, obviously guys like trout and Freeman and Soto and like, you know, superstars. So, you know, Nimmo obviously has to get, uh, you know, just better appreciation for the value that he brings for getting on base. And, and yeah, and Lindor obviously is a stud. Um, you know, it's amazing. There's so many interchangeable names in this lineup, but we're looking at the lineup, you know, tonight, obviously. And I mean, they have Nimmo batting, um, excuse me, McNeil batting six. So it just shows you, you know, just how deep <laughs> the Mets lineup really is and where you can kind of place guys, you know, in and out. But, uh, but yeah, having those two guys at the top, I think, just obviously makes makes a ton of sense. Oh, I mean, it's it, it's incredible if you think about it. I mean, and you were just saying going back to 2018, um, you go back to 2018, and I believe Brandon Nimmo's 139. Am I on that right? 139 weighted runs created plus is 12th in baseball. He's just ahead of, ahead of McNeil, ahead of Springer, uh, ahead of Bellinger, ahead of Acuna. Um, you know, yeah, the whole fourth outfielder thing. It uh. It's it's growing a bit weary. 
Oh, absolutely. It's just nonsense at this point. I mean, it's just people with some kind of grudge against Nimmo at some, at this point, because I, I just can't, I can't get the Nimmo hate, you know, yes. You know, he's had some issues staying healthy. Um, but you know, when the guy is on the field, he is just, he's one of the best outfielders in the game. And I think the numbers really back it up. So I think people really need to start appreciating what Brandon Nimmo, uh, brings to brings to the Mets. Yeah. And I think even on the center field front, um, you know, I've said it on the show in the past before last season, which, you know, he was at least metrically, he was atrocious in center field. And, you know, I was saying it today. I had an article on the Apple, um, Kevin, uh, excuse me, Michael Conforto, um, his metrics in, in right field were, were really, really bad. Like I think 158 out of 160 or something in, in major league baseball among outfielders. Um, you know, so you can't put a whole ton of water, uh, a whole ton of weight into, I guess last year's stats. And I, I'm very appreciative of the, the chance he's getting to kind of show that he's not some, you know, terrible outfielder who only brings one dimension to his, uh, to the field. I think he, people are going to find out that he's kind of that, you know, he, I don't think he's going to be a five tool guy. I said it last week. I don't think he's going to be, he's not going to turn into Juan Soto anytime soon, but uh, he certainly has the ability to, um, to really get some recognition for the type of player he is. But Matt, what's your over under? I have uh, 15 and a half on Nimmo walks followed by Lindo RBI doubles this season. You think you're over and under on that? Oh, I will take the over. <laughs> I will definitely take the over on that. <laughs> you're not the first person I asked that question. Everyone's taking the over on that, but yeah, I mean, it, it fits well. And you know, you can go right down the lineup and, everyone's an OBP guy. And, you know, I feel like I'm saying that the same things I've said on the show previously, but um, you know, when James McCann is your lowest on base percentage since 2019 on the team, and he's at like 335, you know, that's a really, really cool little wrinkle. Um, you, you have to just, you know, nothing but excitement right now. Uh, John Heyman of MLB network and Anthony DeComo of, of MLB.com. I almost got those two mixed up uh, confirmed earlier in the week that the Mets would be, Jumping into extension talks with Lindor and Michael Conforto, probably in succession um, over the next weeks or so. Uh, you know, of course, that's a an about time situation. You have to imagine that the Mets kind of want both those guys in the fold and you kind of just have to hope that it's a, uh, a mutual feeling. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lindor at this point. Um, you know, it just makes a ton of sense. I mean, you're getting a guy, I know the Mets, you know, the hierarchy said when they acquired him, you know, yeah, you know, we'll, we'd be, uh, you know, happy just having him for that one year and obviously acquiring a Carrasco. And, you know, I know they have to kind of say that, but um, I think we all know as Mets fans um, that, you know, they're going into this hoping that they're going to sign him long-term. I mean, it's very rare when you get the opportunity to acquire a guy like Lindor in his prime playing a, a premium position and, and excels on both sides of the ball um, and, and, you know, having the ability to, to sign him long-term, I think is just, is just so key. I mean, we've heard about, you know, his, his leadership in the clubhouse, how he's such a good guy off the field. And we saw that the other day when he uh, donated a million dollars uh, to his alma mater and his high school in Florida. Um, you know, I think he's already just rubbed off on a lot of guys positively. Um, he brings a lot of energy and enthusiasm along with just all the skills that he brings to the table, you know, playing a premium position at shortstop. So, I mean, a lot of people are speculating, obviously, that, uh, you know, his, his number is probably going to start with a three. <laughs> you know, we're probably talking about a $300 million contract. Uh, you know, it just depends, I guess, on the length. Um, Joel Sherman actually made an interesting point the other day in the post where he was talking about, um, you know, maybe giving Lindor a higher AAV over a small time frame. So that way, you know, you're not necessarily paying, you know, Francisco Lindor until he's, you know, his age 37, 38 season. Maybe you can get him, you know, let's say you give him $40 million a year. 
uh, over a seven-year deal. Now, will he take that? You know, who knows? Maybe he's going for longevity and, and wants the nine or ten-year deal. But you know, maybe if you you know if you're willing if you're willing to give Trevor Bauer forty million dollars for the next two years, you know, if you give Lindor forty million over seven years, that's about what that's two eighty. Um, you know, maybe he takes that and then you have him through his age 34 season, as opposed to having him through his age, you know, 37 or 38 season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he just makes a ton of sense to sign long-term when you have that ability to sign a guy in his prime that plays a premium position like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Mets really need to need to get this done. And I, I think a lot of fans won't feel like, and I don't know if that's, if it's justified or not, or if it's right, but I think a lot of fans won't feel like the, se- the offseason is a success, quote-unquote, until they actually sign long-term uh, Francisco Lindor and, and Michael Conforto. Yeah, like these are you know, founda- uh, organizational cornerstones, if you want to call them that. And yeah, I think it makes sense. And I, I really do like the idea of Lindor on a high AAV, shorter year deal. Because you know if you're the Mets, you're limiting your risk. Like you were saying, you're not going into his late 30s. You're cutting it off, let's say, in his mid-30s. Where, again, there's still going to be risk for a little bit of, um, I guess, downgrade as far as production. But that's natural. That happens. But sure. yeah, if Trevor Bauer is going to get $40 million for you know coming out once every five days, I have no problem. It's not my money, but I have no problem give, giving Francisco Lindor forty million to to come out pretty much every day and be a you know a top ten production guy in, in the majors. So, and, you know, it's um, I'm sure these are all discussions the Mets brass are having. But one thing that kind of stood out to me this week, and even over the past few weeks, considering his performance so far in the Grapefruit League, um, Ronnie Mauricio, it, you know, he's nineteen. He's got a ways to go before he's major league ready, but does he really? <laughs> he's five for 11 this spring. He got reassigned with uh, the rest of the, uh, the Mets top prospects this week. Um, we'll touch on them because they kind of tie into this as well, but you know, it's intriguing because you know, with Lance, with Francisco Lindor in the fold, of course, shortstop is blocked. Mauricio mentioned on Wednesday, um, he'd be open to a move to, to second base or third base. Uh, you have Beatty and uh, Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos, who, in all likelihood, you know those go, those are corner guys. So third base might be tied up, but with the likelihood of the DH that's coming into the next CBA, well, you know, I, I don't want to call it it. Uh, I don't want to say it's definite, but you know, it's looking that way. Um, there there could be room for everyone, or maybe even a room a move to the outfield for Mauricio because we've seen it work for Juan Lagares. He went from shortstop to becoming a, a gold glove center fielder. Uh, even Fernando Tatis last season. Um, you know, this is as recent as yeah, last February. He was saying that he'd be more than willing to, to move into the outfield. And, you know, I, I think uh, whatever Mauricio is comfortable with, whatever the organization is comfortable with, but it kind of leaves the team of the team to just, I guess the system in flux. This is one of your top prospects. And now theoretically he's blocked. I want to know, Matt, do you continue him on the path at shortstop and move him when you have to, or do you start kind of easing him into new spots? Now you can look over at Ahmed Rosario, who for years, the Mets were saying, Oh yeah, we might give it a shot in center field. They never did it. They traded him. And now, apparently with Jimenez playing very, very well this spring, um, Cleveland's ready to give Ahmed Rosario a shot in center field. Maybe if he would have got those reps, I don't know, over the last three years, he'd be a little more prepared for a spot like that. Looking at Mauricio, do you handle, which way do you handle that? I guess that's my long-winded 
way of asking a very easy question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's good problems to have, obviously. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and, it, and, and it just goes to show that the Mets really do have some really promising young talent coming through their, through their system. And, um, uh, you know, we, we've obviously heard great things that the Mets are really going to take player development, um, not more seriously, but they're going to, you know, really invest heavily uh, more into player development and getting uh, all the right tech and data into place, which we've already seen uh, with some of the hires of, you know, guys that work the driveline and, you know, just all around baseball, which is fantastic. So, uh, you know, uh, Mauricio is, is going to turn 20. Um, he's still young enough where obviously he can, you know, learn other positions. I mean, like you said, uh, Rosario is 25 and they're going to, you know, try him out in center now. So, um, you know, do, would I keep him there? I think for the time being, I might, I mean, I don't see this. I don't think there's any harm in obviously getting him some, some reps and some time at third base or second base uh, and, and just kind of throwing him out there to see what he can, you know, what he can do out there and, and just get him comfortable, I think is the, the key. Um, but I, I, in terms of a full change, I don't think you necessarily have to, you know? Um, I mean, we had a little bit of this discussion back in the day when, um, you know, they were talking about Pete Alonso maybe moving uh, over to third base. Um, and, you know, they, the Mets obviously kept, you know, Pete at first um, and all the guys that you mentioned too before. But, you know, I think it's good problems to have, obviously, for the Mets. Um, they definitely have some guys. And, they, you know, the Mets even tried out Vientos at first base in some spring training games. And he's, you know, never played there before. He's always been on the left side of the infield. So, uh, clearly they're thinking, I, I think they are thinking long-term. Um, they are looking into guys to see, you know, where, where they can play or where some of their vulnerabilities are. But, uh, Mauricio, you know, really is, uh, really looks solid, uh, and, and, and was, you know, really, you know, hitting the ball. So all fields during spring, you know, one plate appearance that really stuck out to me was the other day, um, when he took a two strike sinker the other way for a base hit uh, against the Cardinals in the seventh, I gave the Mets a two run lead and just, you know, just going with the pitch, uh, which is not kind of on the outside corner of the plate. Uh, was really impressive from a 19 year old kid. And he definitely looks a lot bigger uh, than last year. Uh, looks like he bulked up a little bit. So I think he could definitely handle the hot corner. Um, but yeah, I don't see it. I don't think there's any harm in, you know, giving him some reps a little bit at third, uh, you know, seeing how he can handle it. But um, I, I don't think you necessarily have to, you know, put him at, you know, there all the time yet. I think you can kind of keep him at short. And, you know, obviously, you know, we have to wait and see what the Lindor discussions, you know, what happens with those. I mean, you know, presumably he, that would be wrapped up before opening day begins anyway. But um, yeah, I think all the way, it just a good problems to have, I think is my long winded answer. No, it really, I mean, it's a, um, it's a great problem to have. I mean, there's never been any professional sports team ever that said, Oh darn, we have too many good players. Like, no, that's just right. not a thing. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I would, I wouldn't be so quick to be like, okay, you're not a shortstop anymore. Cause that would just kind of, that might throw his development even into more flux, but yeah, I'd be certainly happy to see him roving, uh, roaming around a little bit more. Um, I have to assume he'll be in high a this season. He, uh, he played very well at low a in 2019 as a, you know, an 18 year old kid playing against 21 year old kids, uh, 20 year old year old year old men. Um, you have to imagine he'll he'll be I don't know about fast tracked, but uh, after his performance this spring, um, you, you certainly have you know high expectations for his progress. But I, I you know I'm very intrigued by the corner outfield position. I think that if you're athletic enough to play shortstop, you're probably athletic enough to play just about anywhere on the ball field. Um, with that frame, big old six foot four, he's not just a lanky kid anymore. He's got, you know, like we all saw, like you were just saying, uh, he's really, really filled out. Um, if he's got pop in his bat, like 
And I, I believe he's got a, a cannon for an arm. I don't have that in front of me, but I, I'm, I, I half me wants to say, yeah, he's got an absolute cannon. Sure, man. I would say, give that a run. I, you know, you have so many possibilities and, and still he's so young that you can kind of tinker and see what works for him and see where he's comfortable. Of course, you know, left side of the infield would probably be a, uh, a solid place to, uh, to start just for the whole being comfortable. And like you were saying, that's the most important part at this pro at this, at this point in the, uh, in the process is, is the player being comfortable. And as you, as you saw by his play in, in the grapefruit league, I mean, he looks very, very comfortable even playing against professionals. So, you know, I wouldn't be hesitant to, um, how should I word this? I, I, I would, I wouldn't be so quick to, uh, to be careful. I wouldn't handle it with kick gloves. I said, I'd let him go out there and let him see how he does everywhere. Shit. Let him pitch. <laughs> I don't care. You know, <laughs> just, um, he's, yeah, he's got, you know, absolute stud written all over him. And, uh, yeah, if you can turn him into an asset at a, another position at multiple positions and kind of fit the whole organizational versatility push, um, or at least at the high, at the top end, you know, that's a, that's a plus for everybody. It's, uh, it's a, they certainly have options and, you know, you go right down the list and Vientos had a nice spring. Beatty had a couple of nice hits. Um, really, I, you know, for all the shit that I keep on cursing, my apologies for all the stuff that, uh, that this organization got for their farm system and trading a lot away. And sure, you can't ignore the fact that they would have a lot more talent here if they held on to more than half of it. But, uh, they, they, they really did a very nice job of drafting. And that goes to, you know, the guys in the, in the, in the scouting office who, who we all, who, you know, the Mark Tremadas and uh, ah, what's the. Tommy Tanyos. Thank you so much, yeah. Matt. I, you know, <laughs> you know how it is. Um, <laughs> oh, believe me. You know, it, it's, it's just all very exciting times and uh, you can't help but be excited. <laughs> it's it. I know I don't want to be redundant, but it, it's, it's all very, very exciting. I will say that baseball reference is going to have to update their, uh, their weight on Ronnie Mauricio because there is no way he's listed at 166 from just looking <laughs> at him. That dude looks like he's close to pushing 200. He just looks solid, man. And I think you're right because the fact that he is an athletic shortstop who does have, uh, from what I, from what I read in terms of scouting reports and seen on video, uh, a great arm. Um, yeah. You really have endless possibilities of kind of where he can play, you know? So I, I think why not, why not take the chance and see, you know, what he can do and, and, and how he can progress at other areas you know, without, um, you know, stunting his development, because obviously, you know, the mental aspect is key, right? So you don't want to take him off short and kind of, you know, mess around with him too much where now you're, you know, having him question where he's going to play and where he's going to start every night, you know? So you want to have obviously like a concrete plan uh, somewhat in place where he knows, the player knows what is, you know, being put in place and what he's being asked of. And the organization knows, you know, what the goal and what the plan is for him. But uh, yeah, he's young enough where, like I said, he's not turning 20 until April 4th. Um, you have, a lot of developmental time with this kid still, and uh, the future is certainly, certainly bright for him. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back, and the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today.
21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can even look to, you know, guys like Matthew Allen and, and you know, he got a little he got hit hard, but that'll happen for a guy who's making his first appearance in the uh in spring training, um, JT Ginn, who was throwing in, uh, he threw a bullpen. I think Rojas said he's about on the same track as, as Syndergaard. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's bright spots through the, through the system. Um, is it as deep as we'd like? No, of course not. But there's certainly bright spots. And, uh, you know, the Mets did a real good job of, of kind of supporting the, the depth end of that, at least at the top end. Um, there's triple A depth now there's on both sides of the truck. I mean, you have, position players and, and pitchers on both ends. And it's, it's kind of a good thing they have those pitchers because it looks like Carlos Carrasco could be a little bit behind schedule uh, after, uh, I guess, suffering a little arm soreness from his second COVID vaccine shot. Uh, just, uh, I guess, there, there doesn't seem, a, uh, excuse me, doesn't seem to be a whole lot of concern coming out of Mets camp. Um, they're hoping that he's going to play catch on Sunday and then throw again five days after that. But, um, that would put him on track for March 19th, 24th, 29th, and then April 3rd. So unless he can ramp himself up in four starts uh, or four, you know, four, five day outings, you have to imagine they might skip his first turn. Uh, maybe even stick him on the DL who knows, but it's probably a good thing. The Mets went out and got all this depth this year, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Mets, you know, the Mets might be smart to err on the side of caution here. Although, um, you know, Carlos Carrasco has dealt with elbow issues in spring uh, springs before. Uh, I know I remember seeing articles in 2017 and 2020. Um, he actually didn't, there was elbow soreness in 2017 and he actually didn't miss any time in 2017. He was able to make a start right away. And I think he made like 32 starts that year. And obviously 2020 um, it happened in March. And then we all had the long layoff with COVID hitting. So uh, really that didn't hit him too bad either, but um, you know, not receiving an MRI is good news, I would say, for Carrasco. Um, you know, like you mentioned before, obviously he received both the COVID shots, so that could play a role as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the reports out that he's slated to play cash on Sunday. And I think Roe has said, too, that um, he, they're looking to have him face live hitting uh, at the end of next week. So, yeah, a lot of hinges, obviously, on, on, you know, how he does Sunday and how he fares from that. But uh, it is great that the Mets did go out and acquire actual major league depth, uh, you know, for the pitching staff. Uh, you know, obviously – you know, losing Carrasco for any amount of time uh, hurts. Uh, but having these guys that are, you know, major league, you know, major league worthy to be to be up there and not, you know, guys that say the same recycled guys that we see over and over again that, you know, really just didn't have any kind of any kind of luck out there um, is definitely is definitely relieving uh, to fans. I think knowing that you have guys that you can kind of plug in and uh, know that you'll get, you know, you know, close to a quality start uh, from time to time and guys that can actually go out there and compete uh, is definitely something. And that was something that the Mets set out to, and they said that they were going to do that in the offseason. And they did, they did a great job, you know, adding a uh, Lucchese and Yamamoto and, and Ikoff, uh, 
you know, guys of that ilk will really uh, will will it'll benefit the Mets over over the long haul because you know we know that Noah Syndergaard is working for, working back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Carrasco is obviously dealing with some elbow soreness, you know, and guys just through a 162 game season, you know, they go through the ebbs and flows and they have their injuries, you know, and 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 you need to have that solid solid depth where you can you know pluck pluck from you know AAA and have them call you know have guys come up and make spot starts and and give you just quality outings and and that's and that's. I think that's what the Mets did this offseason. They really went out and uh, made it a uh, an effort to, to go out and get those kind of quality arms that can that can provide uh, provide depth. Yeah, and you know, we've said it in the past how you know David Peterson kind of got thrown into the fire last year, um, and the highest level he pitched was Double A, and you know we saw how high hopes could kind of be deflated very quick if a pitching staff is um, you know decimated in the way that the Mets starting five was last season. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to see that happen again. And you were saying, you know, Lucchese, um, Taiwan Walker, who's who looked very, you know, all things considered it's spring, but um, lots of lots of heat behind his fastball. Very impressive so far. Uh, I like Yamamoto um, tonight. I don't know if I just said Gazelman, but Gazelman's a swingman who can probably, you know, if they need him to start, they can. But you can go down and look at Colome. You can go down and look at Thomas Sapucky as a possible um candidate to kind of I haven't even seen him pitch this this spring I know maybe he got a couple of outings but I haven't even uh, just that kind of popped into my head I really haven't even noticed him throwing um, yeah, I think I missed him too honestly I think he might have did it, he might have gotten into a game but I, I can't really remember either yeah I, I honestly don't know yeah but um you know they they, they have options and, and it's not you know wing and a prayer options um you know and this is not a knock on on the guys who've been here in recent years but um in most cases it wasn't <clears throat> let's put it at 4a depth that's what a lot of these guys were in you know you can make an argument that jordan yamamoto might be 4a depth but boy his upside is a lot higher than than 4a i know you've been talking a little bit recently and i guess taiwan walker kind of falls into this um category too uh the Mets have done a real good job of bringing in guys. And I know that the, the whole organization has kind of made a push towards um, just an, 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 excuse me, an analytically based push or, you know, kind of expanding technology, moving on to, to the new generation about time on that front as well. But um, I know you pointed out, and I guess we've had private conversations about it too, regarding, I, I guess the Mets are bringing in, I don't know if it's, you know, on purpose or, or if it's just a coincidence, but you have a guy like Joey Lucchese and Taiwan Walker, who these guys are able to mirror their spin, their spin axes. Am I doing my saying that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Taiwan Walker is one in particular that I was looking at his uh, four seam fastball and his curve uh, mirror each other uh, perfectly. And, and basically what I'm talking about when mirroring is that um, it's either six hours, six hours on the clock, if you're thinking that, or in degrees, 180 degrees uh, difference. So for Taiwan Walker, his, his forcing fastball is a one o'clock and his curveball is a seven o'clock or 180 degree difference. So when, when, when you talk about throwing those two pitches, it's, hard, it, it's all about deception. So those two pitches are now going to look very similar because they're traveling you know, on the same axis. Um, not to mention his active spin. When you, and, you, and you incorporate active spin, and, and Michael Augustine, uh, wrote a great a great piece on this, and he does a uh, you know great pitch overlays and tunneling work, and has worked for MLB and ESPN and Fangraphs and so on. But he uh, talked about. I don't want to interject. Funny story: me and Mike Augustine used to write together at Friars on Base. 
This oh, is, no kidding. Is that right? Yeah, this is uh, many years ago. And it was just a quick overlap. It was right when I started, right when he was leaving. But yeah, I've seen Mike Augustine go from a blogger to an absolute powerhouse in, uh, in, in pitching data. But uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean I, to interrupt. No, you. no worries. That's very cool. Yeah, he's definitely moved up in the ranks. And I, I love watching and, and following his stuff on Twitter. But he had a piece where he was talking about, you know, when you, it's great. You, you can look at spin mirroring and look at, you know, which guys uh, mirror, you know, the forcing fastballs and curves. But, you know, that's also looking at it in 2D. Um, which can be a, a little bit misleading because we, we also need to know where the spin is oriented in 3d. And that's when we look at kind of like the active spin, uh, percentage. So he had a great visual too, that showed a, a, a fastball on a curve spinning and showing the pitch directions. But then he showed, uh, a fastball on a curveball that had about like, let's say a 30% gap in active spin. And at that point, you know, hitters can, you know, and, and, and he theorized that like maybe anything over like 12 or 15% different in active spin you might, the hitters might be able to pick up on that spin, even if they have the pitch mirroring. So in Taiwan Walker's case, his four-seam fastball last year had an active spin at 94% and his curveball had a 90, uh, excuse me, 97% on his four-seam and a 94 on his curve. So active spin, a 3% difference along with the pitch mirroring on Walker uh, really makes it harder for hitters to pick up on, you know, the pitches that are coming in. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, one of those, it, it's, you know, it's an ongoing kind of learning process with, with all the spin uh, movement and, and, and axis and, and efficiency type stuff. So, but it's really exciting, really exciting uh, data to look at now and kind of dive into. And, um, you know, you mentioned Yamamoto too, who has uh, some pitch mirroring on his uh, forcing fastball and curve uh, active spins that are a little, little uh, higher uh, percentage wise. I think they're about like a, maybe a 20 or 25% difference, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely it, it's encouraging to see the Mets, uh, you know, look like they're incorporating more and more analytics. Uh, that was something that, you know, um, Steve Cohen, you know, really talked about beefing up and, um, you know, the, the hire of Ben Zosmer from uh, the Dodgers now, who's going to oversee the analytics department. It's exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the guys they brought in uh, over the, you know, this off season and guys that have, you know, previous driveline experience is really interesting too. So um, yeah, a lot of really cool, cool stuff to dig into and, and all this stuff, you know, for anybody that's interested, you know, baseball savant is just a, a factory when it comes to all this kind of data. And I literally can spend hours and hours and I won't, I'll look at the clock and realize that I've been on it for three hours. <laughs> it's very easy just to lose yourself in all this stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, it really, really cool stuff to, to take a look at. Oh, it's so interesting. And, and, you know, even like reading into, um, you know, the driveline stuff, the stuff from Rob Friedman, pitching ninja, um, mm. you know, Saris just did something recently on uh seam shifted wake, which I believe also, uh, Rob Friedman and those guys got into, um, just wild. I mean, I'm, I'm learning about Magnus effect and, you know, I, I'm not in high school science class. Like this is just, it, it's, it's, it's mind blowing that the information has allowed everybody knew that. Yeah. Okay. Seams help the ball move as it's being thrown. Yeah, of course. That's what the seams are there for, but knowing, I guess, learning what, I guess, how those seams are affecting the ball's movements and then being able to adjust to that data. And it, just, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a Renaissance era. Uh, of baseball and it's it, it, the, you know the on-field product is just going to be that much more impressive and it's only going to get better and you know just think about the flood of information that they've kind of gone through in the last i don't know let's say 10 years and then go back in another 10 let's say over the last 20 years you know this is like the invention of electricity uh, it's um yeah it's just very exciting and, and with the right eyes and the right 
mind conveying that data to the players, which I mean, Jeremy Hefner's in place, um, going all the way up to, the, you know, the, the front office and the analytics department and the research and development, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, very, um, very exciting. Just uh, it, this is um, you can hear it in my voice. This is all a brand new feeling for me. Usually you're talking about other teams like, wow, wow, that's really impressive. But no, this is the Mets. Like it's uh, yeah, it's all very new. Absolutely. And I know you brought up, um, you know, Sarah's before. And I just wanted to bring this up. I thought it was found it really interesting. He had an article the other day about, um, you know, which teams develop velocity best and which teams develop uh, velocity and movement best. And kind of, you know, know, look, looking at some data that he could that he he could, you know, pinpoint and and trying to, to come up with that. But. Aside from that, there was a, a really cool quote from there um, that he pulled. I think I forgot who he was talking to specifically, but um, it was somebody that, you know, is obviously in the know and has access to this information. And uh, one of the quote, uh, one of the quotes was, um, we're pretty close to being able to pull in strength conditioning outputs, range of motion screening, data from readiness and strength in the shoulder, uh, pro play AI limb movement numbers, Rapsodo data for velocity and pitch profiling, workload management metrics from the modus sleeve data on stress and sleep environmental effects and putting that all together to, to figuring out where the benefits come from. So when you say the future is exciting, yeah, the future is really exciting, especially with all this tech and data um, and analytics combining with, you know, with, with, with the player development that they have. Um, there is so much in the works for major league baseball, just in general, uh, when it comes to, you know, having this information at their fingertips and, and being able to utilize this data in, in tech in ways that they probably never thought they would. Um, you know, we're going to be able to like have like these, you know, like these super athletes now where we're going to really be able to pinpoint, um, you know, how guys can really maximize, you know, their abilities to the best they can. And we're really going to see some, some, some crazy information come out of all this and, and, you know, to be able to put that into practice uh, with the players and the athletes is, um, is just, uh, there's a lot to look forward to it. It really is exciting. You're absolutely right. You know, it's going to be, it's, it's wild to think that like, you know, you know, amateur scouts in five years aren't, they might not be looking for the kid who throws 99, which of course he's always going to stand out, but um, they might not be looking for that kid. They might be looking for the kid with perfect mechanics that can fit that mold, who has um, maybe a higher ceiling because of those mechanics. Like just, you know, just like you said, they're building super athletes and, and that's, with the information available and even going down to, and guys, it, this is for everyone. We're going to be talking to um, local. This is local to me. Long Island um, high school baseball uh, coverage this year. We're going to be talking to local college coverage this year, as far as what type of biomechanics and information is being used at that level. Um, yeah, we're, we're really taking a deep dive into this. We're going to try and continue this through the year. And Matt, I hope you're going to be involved on this as well, because my friend, you are going to be a, a professional soon. Is that correct? <laughs> Very nice of you to say. Um, well, I am uh, going back to school. I'm going to uh, get my master's in sports analytics and management. Yeah. Um, I'm be doing, yeah, thank you. I'm going to be going uh, starting May. Uh, it's a 20 month program. Uh, it's all online. So it's going to be new for me. I'm used to obviously like, you know, the in-class, uh, you know, sessions and stuff, but uh, you know, here we are <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'll be able to continue to work full time and uh and, and get my master's and hopefully, you know, and, and I'm looking forward to learning a lot more and, and understanding more information and uh, being able to, you know, read the data and relay it in better ways. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm really excited. Well, dude, as soon as you get a job in the front office, man, I'm telling you, I got an eye for talent. You got to hire me as a scout. Absolutely. You got it. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. If I'm going there, man, I'm bringing you, Tim. 
Ah, that's what I like to hear. And you're on, you're on, you're being recorded right now. So I have, um, <laughs> I, I got a little, I got something to hold over you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need the optimism though. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I try to see the best in everyone. I really do. Shout out to Michael Carathy. He's my buddy. He's at Arizona state. He's uh, as he's a, he's a Cronkite student. I had to bail on them. I was supposed to be on their podcast on Wednesday night. Um, I had some family stuff going on. I had to take care of that. But Michael wanted me to, he wanted me to, to, to go through a list of the most overrated players. I'm like, Mike, you don't know me, bro. I'm a positive person. I'm, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking at the most underrated guys. He's like, Oh, you missed that episode. I'm like, I was like racking my brain. So Mike, I'm sorry for missing the show, but I do have a list. I went, I stayed up and made one last night because I felt bad. Good man. Good man. <laughs> Matt, what I was, was going to say, yeah, I was going to say you, you definitely, they definitely need to have you on for the underrated man. I don't know what they were thinking. That's that, that just, <laughs> Right up your alley. No, hey, it's okay. I'm ha- I'm happy to be invited anywhere these days, man. This is um, you know, especially being on like a group Zoom call that they do. Uh, it's almost like being like in a room full of people, which you know, except for being around my wife and kids, I forget what it's like to be in a room full of people. So it was uh, it was certainly a little missed out on. So I'll have to catch up with them next time. Absolutely, yeah. We all need the opportunity to feel like we're uh, you know normalcy is uh is still around us and, and hopefully there are better days ahead. So, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're getting closer, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. Coming. It is. It is. Um, my mom just got her, uh, her appointment scheduled for a vaccine, not until May because on Long Island, it's it, practically impossible to find a, uh, to find an appointment. So we got her, uh, we got her set up yesterday and hopefully I'll Excellent. be doing, I'll be doing mine at some point soon, hopefully too. So uh, yeah, one day soon at city field, it is going to be a party. And and well needed. Yes, we are. We all we are all waiting to safely go back and to have you know baseball at our forefront and and you know get get this all behind us. So those those days are coming, folks. So let's just you know just keep doing the right thing and uh, and we'll get there. Yes, that is right. Wear wear a mask, everybody. You still have to wear a mask. Everybody remember that. Um, Matt, what do you got cooking? You got any interviews lined up? Uh, so I'm actually working on, uh, I'm transcribing. I just conducted an interview with uh, former Met TJ Rivera, who was a nice. lot of fun to talk to. Yeah. Very fun to talk to, man. Uh, got a good, like 30, 35 minute conversation with TJ. He is still looking to play. Um, he actually was with the Phillies last year and then yeah. they, uh, they cut him um, when they made their round of cuts again, you know, before COVID hit. So he didn't resign with anybody, but uh, still working out. He actually played in the uh, Puerto Rican uh, winter leagues this off season. And um, yeah, he's still looking to play. So, and he's only, I think he's like 32, 33, but you know, it was, it was funny. I was talking to him and, you know, I said, you know, you, you, you know, there's some similarities with him and McNeil, you know, both guys that were kind of, you know, under the radar, obviously. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously McNeil was, was drafted and, and uh, TJ wasn't, he was an undrafted free agent, but um, both guys that were just kind of, you know, in the system, both, you know, high contact, high batting average kind of guy, um, you know, McNeil does get on base obviously at a higher clip and has some power, but um, both, you know, when they both got their call-ups, both really, you know, rolled with it, you know, and, and if, uh, if TJ didn't get hurt, didn't, didn't, didn't get need Tommy John surgery, you know, who knows? He, he might still, you know, might still very well be with the Mets and, and pencil down second base and, and, you know, history might be a little different, but, uh, yeah, really positive guy. And he's hoping to continue to play. So, uh, working on that. So hopefully that'll be out, you know, for the next, uh, next week or so. Ooh, 35 minutes. I, I, I do not envy your transcribing adventures over the next few days. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of transcribing. It is, but that's nothing. I, I think my highest, my longest interview, I interview one of the first ones I did years back was with Rick Peterson. That was an hour and a half. 
Wow. I, yeah, man. I, uh, that was rough. That took about, I was a good four days cause I couldn't do it all straight. I, I needed to, to pace myself on that. And, uh, yeah, that was um, that was pretty brutal. If I remember, <laughs> as much as the interview was great, it was just tough to, yeah, <laughs> tough to I, transcribe that. If I remember correctly, he's a really insightful guy, right? Very insightful. Yes, very cerebral, um, and um, has a lot, a lot of. I mean, listen, all the stuff he said was fantastic. So uh, nothing against Rick for talking. I love it. You know, I'd rather have guys talk more than you know than just give me you know the vanilla answers and the very cliche answers. So I always appreciate that. But yeah, he, he, he went into some tangents and, uh, um, it was interesting to hear him just kind of sit back and talk and, uh, you know, let him kind of air out what he had to say, but yeah, he is very, very in tune with analytics and with, um, the mind and the body. And he, he's an in- interesting dude to say the least. Oh man. You know, all this, uh, all about, uh, I guess, uh, getting everything aligned and the whole cerebral approach and, and the tangents you'd let Rick Peterson know we got a show for him to come on. He would be awesome to get, man. I think you, I think, you know what, with your optimism and with Rick Peterson talking, man, I think that would be, that's a, that's, you're just asking for greatness there. I think that would be a really cool, cool platform for him. So oh, I Rick, think- if you're listening, man, come on the Apple, Doug, maybe come on something amazing. This would be an awesome, awesome Avenue. Oh, it'd be a great time. I, I, I would just feel bad for, uh, for Andrew Claudio, our producer for having to <laughs> sit through a likely two and a half hour chat about, uh, about baseball analytics, but uh, Hey, Andrew's down. He's part of the gang. Listen, you got to give the listeners what they want. <laughs> yes. So. I'm sure everybody wants a, a three-hour diatribe on the intricacies of confidence on the mound. <laughs> I mean, then you can go into, you know, some of the Moneyball stuff and you know, oh all the older Vito Hudson stuff. Man, you know, I didn't mean to get on a tangent with this, but he lived a really, really interesting life. He's, you know, people out there interested, look up Rick Peterson on Google. There's some really interesting stuff on him in his career. He, uh, he, he there's a lot of, a lot of, information that uh, i was even surprised about so he's he's really just an uh, interesting interesting man that uh that lives such a, a great baseball life so and his dad was a player too and a former uh i think a former front office gm as well so he um yeah kind of grew up in baseball so oh that's awesome you know i i would i'm actually i would really 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 enjoy speaking with rick peterson matt well, once we get up we might have to um we might have to link up and try to make something happen there let's let's do this <laughs> awesome all right man um everybody you guys know where to find matt it's m brownstein uh now i the numbers escape me because i put my twitter what matt what's your twitter handle <laughs> uh, it is m brownstein 89 89 jesus i'm like it's right there it's on the tip of my tongue i didn't want to say the wrong one but All you guys book. know where to find them um works on mesmerized you guys know where to find them uh and of course you know keep on checking out the apple subscribe rate review you guys know the deal by now i don't have to do this it's almost baseball season let's not go through the monotonous nonsense come on all right matt i, I again my uh my sincere appreciation for coming on, man. This was fun. Tim, anytime, man. Always a blast talking to you, man. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Um, big guests lined up over the next couple of weeks. And of course, you know, as we get closer to opening day, my giddiness is just going to be through the roof. So prepare yourselves. We'll see you next time. Let's go!